Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 32 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 32 of Inside Quizzing, we are going to be doing a John chapter 16 and 17 review uh, leading up to uh, our next district meet, district meet number four, which is hosted at Lighthouse in Puyallup. So we're also going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming meet at Lighthouse, kind of the when and the where and the plans and what's for lunch and that sort of stuff. And then when we're done with that, we are going to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about kind of a bigger question surrounding quizzing. Uh, we've been talking a lot the last few episodes about uh, lots of inside quizzing details around question types and rulings and that sort of stuff, the sort of the tactical elements of quizzing. But we're going to take a step back and talk strategic, uh, specifically around organizational ideas for district quizzing, and maybe even down to the church program. How do you organize at the church program? And then talk a little bit about, uh, at the Pacific, in Pacific Northwest, uh, talking about our new bylaws that we're putting together and how that kind of relates to that sort of bigger picture sort of thing. We're going to briefly talk a little bit about Great West in terms of just another update and uh, maybe a couple other topics if we have time. So with that, let's uh, jump into our first topic, which is John chapter 16. So Scott, what are your thoughts about chapter 16? Let's see here. 16, let's hit the things I usually look at. It's 33 verses, so probably of average to maybe even below average length for the John quizzing material. It's got a few key verses. I see just six, actually. No, seven. So very few key verses. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight. So eight key verses out of the 33, which I believe is low for a chapter. And looking at it, it follows very closely along what the past chapters have kind of been structured like. There's an awful lot of Jesus talking, which means many things. It means that even though there's lots of quotations, there may not be a whole lot of opportunity for situation questions unless it is introduced um, at various parts that Jesus is the one talking. So just peeking at it right now, I don't see in verses 1 through 15 any introduction of Jesus as the one who's talking. So um, at least in the middle, especially in the middle there, none of those can be situation questions. In verse 16, it does look like it, Jesus is introduced, and there's a little back and forth between Jesus and his disciples. So we've got, let's see here, a lot of Jesus talking. So to some people... Now, this would be to people like me who preferred memorizing the epistles compared to the Gospels. But I found it easier to memorize without the back and forth of a conversational or story manner. But to some people, the beginning of chapter 16 will be very difficult to memorize because there's no kind of signposts or um, things to kind of that your brain can latch on to. So, yeah, um, it looks like there are... Some global keywords, some global unique words scattered throughout. There's quite a few in verses 20 and 21. I always like looking at the reference material with an eye towards where the color is and then spending a little bit longer reading over it to see if I think there are good interrogative questions that can be formed with those global unique words right at the beginning. But much like chapter 15 and 14 and 13, lots of Jesus talking, which will continue in chapter 17. <laughs> and I have some... Very interesting things to say about chapter 17 when we get to it. But what do you think about chapter 16, Griffin? Yeah, very similar things. I noticed there's really kind of two parts to it um, in terms of color density, I guess. I guess we're inventing new terms. 
Um, but so like in CBQZ, we mark up uh, unique word, global unique words, blue and chapter unique words is red and then two word key phrases in green. And what ends up happening is sort of if you don't look at a verse you know, too closely, if you're looking at an entire chapter of material in the material viewer area and you're kind of looking at it. I don't know, from a, from a distance, sort of looking at the whole material all at once, your, your eye can kind of spot groupings or sort of clusterings of, of uniqueness versus non-uniqueness. Uh, and I think what that usually results in is faster questions versus longer questions, right? So, you know, looking at, say, verse uh, five of chapter 16, you would think that uh, it would seem it would seem to me that there are a couple of fairly quick chapter reference questions that you can get out of that. But generally speaking, uh, standard interrogatives are going to take a little bit longer to develop. You know, you're not necessarily going to be able to jump on, you know, a couple of syllables uh, in, in that that sort of. Uh, verse, but then you jump down to say verse 21 and there's a lot of opportunity for very, very rapid jumping. And so similarly, I sort of see these two sort of parts of, of probably starting around verse five through like verse 19 is sort of a, a maybe a slower uh, type of interrogative question or set of interrogatives come out of there and then a little bit tighter. Uh, sharper interrogative questions come from 20 through 25 and, and then even onward 29 through 33 and so forth. There's a little bit stronger clustering of that color uh, that's there. And I kind of get that sort of sense around that. So, you know, echoing what Scott said, you know, as you, after you memorize the chapter, I would take a look at uh, verses 20 through 33 or 20 through the end and look at the, the the quick jumping that's there and kind of put yourself, I think there's a, you know, once you have the chapter memorized, there's sort of an, an, an additional step that you can take where you can kind of put yourself in the mind of the question writer and you're looking at a particular verse and saying, well, if I'm going to, if I'm a, a typical question writer and I'm looking at this verse uh, versus some other verse. So like I'm looking at say 22 versus say, uh, 15. What is, what are the kind of questions that will be different that will come out of say 25 or 29 or 30 in, uh, versus something coming out of 14 or 15 or 16 or so forth? And that kind of lends itself, I think, to being just a little bit more prepped for some of those kind of question types. As I scan the latter half of 16 and maybe even in the beginning of half of 16 as well, looking for words that are not in color in the reference material, I see the word will over and over and over and over again. So just reading through those and seeing where there can be reference questions, whether they be chapter reference, chapter verse reference, or a multiple answer reference, just kind of read through those. In, in verse 20, I see you will, you will, grief will. In verse 21, I don't see a will. In verse 22, I will, you will. No one will. Verse 23, you will. My father will. Verse 24, you will. Your joy will. Um, and it goes on and on. So just those sorts of similar, exactly similar wordings that have different answers are absolutely going to show up as reference questions. Yeah. So I've got a question for you regarding reference questions. So uh, taking a look at chapter 16, uh, verses 16 and 19, and there might be another one, but uh, in 16 and 19, uh, both of them start with Jesus. Both of them can be a chapter verse reference question, Jesus what? And so in 16, it is very clearly, you know, a, a standard or a not multiple answer 
uh, chapter verse reference question, Jesus what, and reads to the end of the verse. But then looking at 19, would Jesus what be a chapter verse reference or a multiple answer chapter verse reference? That is a tough one. I would... I tend to think extremely literally when it comes to reference questions, especially chapter verse reference questions. So I would write 1619 Jesus what as a single answer CVR with the answer saw that they wanted to ask him about this. Um, I know that the he said is referring to Jesus, but in my mind, um, the, the noun being used there is he and not Jesus. So even though it is referring to Jesus, I don't want to make it a second part of the answer to Jesus, to the question, Jesus, what? I tend to follow that as well. I would probably, I would be hesitant, I think, to actually write the chapter verse reference on 19, Jesus, what, because I think it, there is a little bit of ambiguity. But part of it for me is around that word, so. And the the, the amusing thing is, if the word so was actually and, I might actually be much more okay with it, right? So Jesus, what, and if so was an and I would include both parts and call it a multiple answer. But I don't know, does does changing so to and change that in your mind at all? It doesn't change it. It makes it maybe slightly easier to write it as a multiple answer. But to me, the inclusion of the word he in there is what gives it the big X for can it be a multiple answer. If it's a Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this and said to them, um, then I would write Jesus what as a multiple answer chapter verse reference. But that he in there, I think it's just going to be misleading because you can write Jesus what as a CVR, you can write he what as a CVR. So then writing Jesus what as a MACVR, it just doesn't really work to me. Sure. What would you say if it was Jesus saw and then and Jesus said to them? Could you say Jesus what as a multiple answer at that point? I would in that case. And I think it matters. Um, the lit- like what is literally being said, Jesus and Jesus, um, and not the meaning where it's Jesus and he, and we know that the he is referring to Jesus. And so I'm looking at what what's actually on the paper. Yeah. Interesting. All right, cool. Well, should we jump to 17? Yeah. So I quizzed for four years, and I memorized um, Corinthians, John, Hebrews, First and Second Peter, and Luke. Those are the four years that I did. And John 17 was probably by far the hardest chapter I've ever had to memorize. Um, It is, even though I said I usually prefer the epistle material, um, John 17 just was difficult. It doesn't have those conversational breaks, which, even though they weren't of help to me, this one just seemed like one big block that my mind didn't really have these footholds in. And... Jesus is fairly repetitive in this. So he's praying for a few different groups of people. And so there's lots of very similar themes, very similar sentiments, very similar wordings. And a lot of it has a lot of really awesome significance. So a lot of it is also a key verse. And I just had a really difficult time memorizing it word perfect. I don't know how many times I quoted John 17. It's only 26 verses. But... um, Man, I just remember going over and over and over, and I would always miss up, mess up these little words here and there because of how repetitive and similar it is without being exactly similar to elsewhere in the same chapter. Yeah, I, and I, I can see that certainly looking in, say, verses starting probably around in 15, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, uh, although 15 is not particularly short, but 16 through 19, these are fairly short verses that feel, I don't know, what's the word, Con- contextually for me, they don't flow as well. Um, so I think 
a way to maybe combat this and, and tell me if you think I'm, I'm wrong here, but I think maybe a way to combat that is to, uh, uh, memorize with references. At least it, it may not necessarily link the verses together, but at least it gives you a, a structure to place the memorized, uh, bits and pieces. Do you think that would help? Yeah, now that you say it, I think that was part of the difficulty of memorizing it is that each verse is kind of a discrete thought that doesn't obviously follow from the previous verse. Like Jesus is saying a lot of different thoughts in this prayer, and they're all kind of um, unique. Yeah, and that makes it very difficult to because you, you, you miss out on that flow. It it almost requires jumping to a higher level of quizzing, uh, you know, out of the out of the gate. Because I mean, certainly you want to get to a point in your memorization and your and your quizzing prep to be able to jump into any particular verse uh, without necessarily having that context. Uh, but usually the context is a nice bridge to get you from zero to that extra advanced state. And in 17, I don't think you have that bridge quite as strongly as you do in other chapters. And like, look at the end of 1721. From the end of 1721 through kind of the first part of 1723, there's no word in color, which means there's no two-word unique phrases, a chapter unique word, or a global unique word. And so just memorizing like verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And just having that sort of language throughout was just so difficult to get straight. Yeah. Well, and especially when you consider 22 and 23, well, all the way down to uh, to 20 as well. But uh, certainly 22 and 23 are uh, key verses uh, for, for P&W. So that makes it even harder. So, I mean, if somebody's doing a quote, these two verses, 22 and 23, you really have to nail the words in, in 22 in the first half of 23. Well, all of 23. But I mean, in particular, those words are very specific in 22. Uh, but yet very common, uh, there are no, uh, you know, even two word key phrases, uh, in 22. Yeah. Like verse 23, I in them and you and me, it could feasibly be written. I in them comma you and me. So you have to, you know, there's not an obvious English way of how to say it. And then so that they may be brought, you see structures. So they may be brought or so that they uh, may be brought. And then, then the world will know. Sometimes there's no then at the beginning of a verse. Know that you have, know that you sent me. Then the world will know you sent me. You know, like there's all these very common ways of writing the exact same meaning, but just little words like then and that may have as can. You know, you have to get all of those absolutely correct if it's going to be a key verse. And frankly, if you want to jump on chapter verse reference questions too. Some of the toughest times I have as a quiz master are when, say, my question is, I have been what for a chapter verse reference, and the quizzer is misquoting it, not to the point that they would, like, they may be misquoting it to a very small extent, and if it was an interrogative, I would just call them correct, but because it's a chapter verse reference question, they need to get the exact wording for me to prompt them for their question. Because if they're saying something like, um, I had been, and I prompt them for their question, then I've really given them misleading information. And so... I think if you're a key verse quizzer, if you're going to jump on chapter verse references from this chapter, you need to do your work to make sure that you know the verses really, 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 really well. Now, if you're jumping on interrogatives or situation questions, it could be that a lot of those tiny words aren't going to change meaning and aren't going to be required for you to be counted correct. And so, you know, I don't know if I would approach this chapter any differently if I'm jumping on interrogatives, multiple answers, and situation questions, and maybe even chapter reference questions, but definitely Key verse questions and chapter verse reference.
those questions take extra special care on chapter 17. Yeah. Well, and, and certainly the one saving grace, well, there's a few, but a, a major saving grace of chapter 17 is it is fairly short, you know, 26 verses. So it's not a ton of material, but it, it can be fairly tricky material. But that being said, this could actually be a wonderful opportunity, right? Because if you're willing to put in just a little bit of extra effort on something that is tricky, you can gain a competitive advantage over quizzers who are not willing to put in a little bit of extra effort. Uh, so chapter 17 could be for you an opportunity uh, if you're willing to turn it into one. Absolutely. I I. I tried to keep myself motivated by that fact when I was going over and over and over chapter 17. I knew that it was tough on everybody and that a lot of people just wouldn't really want to try to memorize it. But absolutely, tougher material means fewer people will try to memorize it and even fewer will memorize it well. Yeah. All righty. Well, uh, let's see. Only a few more days. Uh, let's see, what, four more days until uh, the next uh, Pacific Northwest uh, quiz meet. It's going to be meet number four for us. It's going to be hosted at Lighthouse. Uh, so that's going to be on February 8th and 9th, Friday and Saturday. And Lighthouse is in uh, Puyallup. It's a fantastic location. Uh, it's, it's a you know fairly decent sized church. Uh, lots of space for folks to run around and move in. Uh, there is a potential weather problem on the horizon. These last couple of days, we've had some snow and ice, and that sort of uh, has made the road conditions problematic. We had uh, school was canceled today for us uh, out on the, the peninsula, and uh, the uh, we're looking at late start, maybe a cancellation tomorrow, and the weather is supposed to improve for the next few days, but then get worse uh, for the weekend. So that will be something definitely to keep in mind, uh, especially if you're commuting for a long distance, uh, folks uh, commuting a great distance away to get to Lighthouse. Uh, please be safe. Uh, please check the weather. Give yourself ample opportunity uh, because when uh, snow and ice start hitting the road and you're talking about Friday afternoon commute level traffic, uh, you could get stuck uh, j just behind cars independent of the weather. So please do take that into account as you are making your, you know, transition. If you're a coach uh, and you're making your, your migration to lighthouse and things are starting to look uh, a little bit bleak or something, uh, please don't push it. Uh, please be safe. Uh, reach out to Scott or myself or somebody else uh, in leadership and uh, let us know, you know, where you're at and how things are progressing. But by all means, uh, don't take unnecessary risks to get yourself to lighthouse. That being said, we hope everybody, we hope everybody is able to make it safely and make it on time and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just from a logistics perspective, it makes our lives easier, but, uh, certainly, uh, keep that into account. So we've got the when and the where, uh, Friday, uh, it's the usual, or I always forget because I always get What's the usual start time? I always get there like way early, so I can never remember the official start time. It's like 7 o'clock, right? 7 o'clock. I usually try to kick off announcements a little bit before 7, but um, 6.45 to 7, kind of in that range. Yeah, sounds great. And then so there there is housing available for Lighthouse uh, for teams that are commuting from a great distance. And then uh, we'll start up again on Saturday. There is lunch provided. My understanding that it is is that it is pizza because Lighthouse is a big fan of doing that uh, for pizza's sake. And I believe there is also going to be a coaches and officials uh, leadership meeting uh, on Saturday, right? Absolutely. 
All right. Uh, any kind of stuff you've got on the agenda that you want to kind of brief us on before we jump on? Uh, we're going to keep chatting about Great West as that's coming up, and we want to make sure everyone has the information that they need, whether they have a kid going on the trip or if they're going on the trip as a coach or an official. And then we'll talk about some things for next year, because if we're going to be changing any policies of how our district runs or any rules for the quizzers, we like to get the conversation started uh, before the off season and while we have everyone together at meets to have a good conversation about things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and speaking of uh, speaking of that, one of the things that we were we're we're in a process of sort of organizational change and leadership change and a few other things in the Pacific Northwest. So Scott has been the program director for a number of years now. Um, was it four or five? How many years has it been? I believe this is my sixth. Sixth year. So pretty awesome. Um, and that kind of consistency is really, really healthy for a program. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, for all of us, uh, Scott and his lovely wife are moving to a faraway place, uh, far away from us, which is very depressing and sad for us. Uh, but it means that Scott, uh, is not necessarily going to be able to be involved at the same sort of level uh, as a district coordinator that he has been in the past. So I'll be uh, stepping in and uh, taking over as district coordinator at the end of this year. So there's kind of that whole organizational shift that that takes place. So as you can imagine, Scott and I certainly are highly communicative, just sort of normally and, and even more highly communicative, given this sort of shift in district coordinator-ness coming up, that sort of thing. Um, but it is technically an organizational change, uh, or, or a leadership change. Uh, but then the other thing that we're talking about, the other thing that we're working on is putting together a set of bylaws, uh, for our district. So the district so far, and, and I mean, it's been around for decades now, but, uh, it may have had some sort of bylaws or organizational structure in the past, but typically, it's been fairly loose and we wanted to tighten it up a little bit to sort of protect, uh, some rights of, uh, well, I, I don't know if rights isn't the right way to, to, to put it, but basically we wanted to protect the organization so that, uh, it can continue and have a, a, a continued many decades more of life in it. And part of that was ensuring that, uh, coaches of churches and leaders of, of, of church ministries had a protected voice in the leadership process and the flow of how things are going to be working in the Pacific Northwest uh, in terms of Bible quizzing. Uh, one of the things that the district has been extraordinarily blessed with has been Scott's leadership, right? So Scott has been a phenomenal uh, district coordinator on a number of fronts, right? He's very communicative. He really knows about quizzing. He's passionate about making sure quizzing is successful. And he really has the right, I don't know, the right heart uh, for the program and for the kids uh, and, and sort of the, the right not sort of, he really does have the right goals, I think, uh, for what the program is and what it can be and what it should be. The problem is there are not uh, there is not an infinite supply of Scots in the universe. Uh, there's a very limited supply of Scots in the universe. And so one of the things I wanted to do in, in kind of transitioning into the role of district coordinator was I wanted to sort of set up some, some structure so that the district doesn't have to necessarily rely on there being a Scott or a Scott-like person in its future. 
Um, and so that's what, kind of what, what the bylaws are all about. So the, the, what we've done here is we've, uh, we've structured our incorporation. We're putting together, uh, or we are currently organized as a five or under a 501c3, which means that, uh, you know, if somebody wants to make a donation, uh, to, uh, Bible quizzing, they can write it off on their taxes and so forth. We've set up a defined structure in terms of membership. So any, uh, coach that is involved with a particular church uh, that sponsors a team, that coach is considered a leader, leader of the ministry organization and therefore has a, a, a right to be uh, heard and a right to uh, appoint delegates to assembly meetings, which vote on leadership, including ratification of the board of directors and ratification of, of the uh, district coordinator and rules committee leader and treasurer and so forth. And so what we've done through the pro process of the, these bylaws here. And, and really a lot of this is, I mean, I, we shouldn't put a lot of credit on the bylaws for, for structuring this. A lot of this stuff is pre-existent and is just getting sort of codified under these bylaws. But one way that we've sort of structured our universe is to say we have a board of directors, or it had been called the steering committee, uh, which is a collection of, of leaders of the program who are responsible for overseeing the program. You can sort of see them, see the, these folks as sort of overseers of, of, of Pacific Northwest Bible quizzing. And then in that group, there's the district coordinator who acts as sort of like chairman of the board and so forth. But there's also separate to, from the district coordinator, a rules subcommittee leader. Uh, and this is somebody who basically is in charge of ensuring that our rules are accurate and reasonable. They lead uh, a group of, of the officials. So the quiz masters and answer judges kind of, um, in a sense, report to or are organized by the rules subcommittee leader and all of them are part of the rules subcommittee so they get they get to discuss and debate the rules and so forth and that's independent of the district coordinator and then of course we have a treasurer who has to keep uh, records uh, financial records and so forth and and uh, implement uh, fiscal policy and but of course fiscal policy is uh, ratified by the general assembly so it's not there's there isn't a situation where say a treasurer can just say i'm going to raise the prices for everybody or the district coordinator can't just come around and say you know what we're going to uh, charge everybody an extra five bucks uh, to go to district championships or something like that that can't happen without uh, ratification of, of the assembly and so forth so Part of that is kind of that sort of structure and putting some some uh, protections in place and kind of talking about some of the ways that people can be appointed to these positions and the requirements to fulfill the position and the duties of that, that office and so forth. And a lot of that existed already. So like some of the bullet point lists of like, what does a district coordinator do? What does the treasurer do? Some of that was already in existence. Uh, in a couple of different documents. And so really all the bylaws do for us is sort of codify this into a single uh, place. Uh, but the other thing that we have to keep in mind with bylaws, and this may be kind of, if you, if you haven't served on, say, a church bylaws committee or something uh, before, this may feel a little bit weird. But think of the bylaws as like your organization's constitution, right? So you, we have like the U.S. Constitution, 
that set up a certain set of structure, right? But the Constitution itself, while it can be amended, is amended fairly infrequently. But instead, the legislature comes up with rules and laws and so forth uh, under the organizational structure set up by the Constitution. Very similarly, in uh, in quizzing, we, we would have a, a, a set of bylaws which are act as almost like a constitution. They can be amended, but are amended very infrequently. And then we have another document, which we call the sort of the standard operating procedures document. And this can be amended fairly liberally, fairly frequently. And so you see kind of these two documents work together, but for sort of different purposes. The bylaws set up a structure, but they, they, they need to be written fairly lightly and not have a lot of uh, details in them. And it's the standard operating procedure that gets amended fairly frequently and has a, a lot of those details. So anyway, Scott, I've been talking a long time, but does that stuff uh, sort of make sense from your perspective? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think even for smaller organizations, when a lot of this might seem overkill, it's just nice to have a formal, accepted, circulated document that everyone knows is um, how things are governed, even if... We're not expecting like um, leadership coups every other year. Yeah, exactly. And certainly we wouldn't be expecting any sort of um, leadership coups, uh, anything like that. A lot of this is really just sort of protecting the organization from kind of slowly falling away from what we think is useful in its current state, right? Um, that being said, the a, a malfunctioning organization, a... Um, a dysfunctional organization is not going to be made functional with the best bylaws in the world. And a functional organization will be able to continue functioning even if they have terrible bylaws or no bylaws at all. Uh, it's not like the bylaws can can correct these sorts of things. But what they can do is they can protect uh, the rights of people who have a voice. They can protect people's uh, right to have a voice in both the leadership and the organization and the process of running uh, the program. And so that's kind of the, the ultimate goal and, and hope for this sort of thing. Yeah, that'll be a welcome addition for the off season. So let's see. Um, let's see. Uh, should we talk about Great West a little bit? Yeah. So I just put a message out on the Facebook group, but um, we have a survey for people who want to be volunteers, but it's actually very helpful if everyone, every adult takes it so that in the event we need a volunteer, I'll know if you're available or not. So, um, yeah. So even if you have not taken it and know that you either cannot or do not want to go to Great West, it would help me if you take the survey. And all the other things about Great West we'll chat about during our coaches meeting at Meet 4, and information will steadily be trickling out as we get closer and closer. All right. Well, with that said... Um... I have a very interesting topic uh, to broach and see if we have any brilliant or slightly crazy ideas around how to do this. So, uh, you know, I've been a coach before at the uh, so at the church level for a number of years. Uh, some of those were with my wife. Um, I forget exactly how many, but but a number of those years were, were with my wife at the local church level. And then I've been a coach at Great West and a coach uh, with my wife at Internationals. And I know, uh, Scott, you've been a coach at Internationals and a coach at Great West. And I think you were a coach at a church level too, right? No, never have. Okay. But, but definitely at Great West, right? 
actually, I think I just coached at Great West this last year, and I wasn't a head coach. So I think I've only head coached at internationals. Ah, cool. All right. But um, you do have, certainly, you have coaching experience there. So what, this is kind of an awkward question, but if you are a coach, you're coaching a, a, some number of quizzers. These are junior high and high school uh, kids. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, is as kids approach getting ready to graduate from high school, they become more and more mature and more and more independent and uh, sort of getting ready to... Uh, you know, flap their wings and move out of the nest and go on with their life. So, I mean, they're, they're basically, in a sense, pre-adults, you know, kind of stuff. Um, very close to becoming an adult, uh, both legally and also, you know, just culturally and, uh, maturity-wise as well. But sometimes that progression, uh, tw- uh, towards maturity and towards adulthood, uh, can be difficult, uh, both for an individual quizzer and sometimes it can be difficult for parents. Uh, some parents kind of hang on to their kids a little bit, uh, tightly and kind of want the kid to remain a kid, uh, indefinitely. And, uh, sometimes that can add to a bit of friction, uh, between coaches and, uh, parents of quizzers. And I don't know, Scott, have you ever had uh, to deal with, as a coach, uh, have you ever had to deal with uh, parents maybe who've held on a little bit too tightly sometimes? Yeah, perhaps. And I think um, my main interaction with parents is as a quiz master. And I think one of the important things to remind yourself, so both as a quiz master or if you're a coach, is um, to not take things personally because quizzing is is going to be a pretty small community. And so it's very natural that someone might be both coaching a team and a parent um, and have their kid on the team, maybe be a pro, maybe be a program leader. Maybe they, um, yeah. And so people are sharing a lot of different roles. Um, and I'm trying to figure out where I was going with that. But basically if people were ever upset with, if, a coach who happened to be a parent was ever upset of something that I did as a quiz master. I didn't take it personally. I knew that it was about their kid. It was about um, something that happened in quizzing. And I would always try to be really communicative about what the situation was, why there was this result or whatnot, um, and not act like they were upset with me as a person, but they were upset about something that I did. And, um, while not wanting to be dismissive of a thought, it is helpful to know that oftentimes parents will be overprotective or maybe a little myopic because it is their child involved. Now, um, I think things can start to be pretty interesting if you're coaching a Great Western Internationals team because now it's not um, like I think the kind of the points of district quizzing and um, after district quizzing are a little bit different um, within the district. You want to have meets that are fun for everybody in an environment that kind of encourages and motivates everyone to both get to know each other, but motivates them to memorize as many verses as they can or as, as many as they want to. And for some kids, it might be one verse. And for some kids, it might be 800. But we're, we're wanting to make the program worthwhile and encouraging for both of those quizzers. When it comes to Great West or internationals, you, by the nature of it, are dealing with kids who have self-selected themselves as the ones who are studying more and memorizing more verses. And so the competition side of it becomes a greater focus. And so at those meets, oftentimes there is a sub and the coach gets to pick who the sub is. Um, 
And I think that can be a new experience for some kids because they're used to being the captain of a team who's on the stage for every single question. Um, it can also be a new experience for parents. And I think there was one year at internationals. I don't know if this quizzer was number one for the year, but we had them sub at a point. And um, those those decisions are never easy. And I don't think they're very fun as for the quizzer or for the parent. And I think you just always want to be really, really communicative, whether you're an official or whether you're a coach, um, that you're not you're not being vindictive to harm the kid, but you have, you know, certain goals, criteria, standards in mind. And like in that situation, we wanted to make sure that every member on the team had a rewarding experience. And at that point in time, this quizzer just wasn't, wasn't contributing very well, wasn't focusing very well. And that's why we wanted to have them be a sub for a period of time. Um, And I think once you articulate it in that way, and say it's not like, oh, yeah, we don't like this quizzer and don't want them to quiz at all or have any fun, then it, it's, um, it can be received a lot better. And that, that situation turned out great because we got incredible focus and really key contributions, and I don't think it changed the experience for anybody. So um, those are just some of my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I think for, from my perspective, I think it's usually a very good idea to, like, like Scott was saying, communicate you know, upfront kind of what's going on each year and talk about the philosophy that you're bringing to uh, the team as a coach. Right. Uh, And there are, there's more than one valid philosophy. Right. Um, And it's important to make sure that everybody's sort of on the same page with that. And one of the things Scott and I were talking about before we started recording and part of me wishes we had actually recorded it because I thought it was kind of a great conversation, but uh, we were talking about how, you can, as a coach, uh, you can, you can set a particular tone or style or, or goal for your, uh, church program. So there are different ways of looking at the church program. You can say that quizzing is kind of like youth group in the sense that you want every one to be involved in it. And, uh, you know, whether they quiz or not, or sorry, whether they memorize or not, whether they put in any effort or not, you want every kid to be involved. You want to, uh, you know, it's, it's more about the experience, the camaraderie, the road trips and that sort of thing. And there's a place for that. And there's, there's an argument to be had for that. Then the flip side of it is to say, well, this is not so much like youth group. It's more like, you know, a cross country team or something like that. It's almost like a a high school sport. You know, anybody can try out. Um, Almost everybody is welcome to join. In fact, probably everybody's welcome to join. But there is a certain expectation of uh, effort that that's brought to the situation. So like, for example, you know, in high school, if I try out for the cross country team, there is a certain expectation that I show up to all the practices unless, you know, there's there's some sort of compelling reason why I can't. Uh, there's a certain expectation that I am working hard and I am, uh, both practicing with the team and then maybe practicing individually or so forth. Uh, there's a certain expectation of output, you know, effort that I'm going to bring to bear. Uh, it's not necessarily for everyone, right? Not everyone wants to join cross country. Not everyone wants to join the baseball team, you know, that kind of thing. Not everybody wants to join the football team. Uh, so there are things like tryouts and so forth that come into play in certain places. Um, 
And depending upon where on that spectrum you want to be as a coach, there's an argument that can be made that just about anywhere on that spectrum is valid. It just sort of depends on what kind of program you want to run. And I've, I've even seen situations where you can have a single church program that has different teams with different philosophies. There's sort of the, the, you know, team one that's kind of the, uh, track and field sort of team, the expectation of, uh, you know, there's tryouts for team one, there's a certain memorization level required of team one. But if you're not into that and you're really more into the social aspects of quizzing, uh, there's team two or three or whatever it happens to be for that uh, particular church program and it works just fine. The important thing is making sure that everybody's on board with that. Uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, and not just quizzers, right? It's fairly easy to talk through a lot of this philosophically with quizzers, and they're like, yep, I get the point, and so forth. But you want to make sure that the parents are entirely cool with that as well, especially if you're going to have some sort of, uh, you know, minimum memorization requirement or something like that uh, to be able to participate in meets and so forth. And then make sure that, that parents are fully aware of what it is up front. Um, but even if you do all of those things, uh, there are times where a parent can kind of, you know, unleash a little bit of crazy on you. Uh, and you have to just understand, you know, like what Scott was saying, it's, it's not typically personal. It's usually because they love their kids a lot. And, you know, that's a noble thing. Uh, but, uh, you just have to be fair and, and listen, be open-minded, but you know, if they're, if they're incorrect or, or trying to get an exception to policy that's been well communicated, you have to kind of stand the, the, the line and, uh, a bit, and that can be uncomfortable, unfortunately, but it's, uh, it's part of, uh, part of being a coach, uh, I think. So, I mean, as, as a district coordinator, I'm sure you've had to deal with a lot of uh, similar sort of experiences as a coach might have to deal with. And is there some ideas that you can share with us about that? Hmm. I think one of the harder things for me as a district coordinator is if there's any complaint at any level, it kind of bubbles up to you. And it's often on a situation that I'm hearing secondhand. Um, and so I have to approach whatever anyone is saying to me with both a high level of skepticism, but a high level of... Um, treating it as very important. Whereas when you're a quiz master or a coach, you're like, you're there for whatever situations happen. And so you have firsthand knowledge of exactly what transpired. Um, so I think that was one of the harder things for me as district coordinator. I don't know if that answers your question. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the same principles are in play. I just want to, like, I think when people understand the thought process behind a rule or a policy or something, um, they're very, they're much more willing to accept it um, when they know that it's not um, a singular one-off decision by a single person, <laughs> um, but there's reasoning behind it. And if they want to have a discussion about the reasoning or the policy, um, that often can be a much healthier and productive discussion because it's um, you've of, you've often taken people and individuals out of it, and you're now talking about a specific standard or policy, you know, and it's, it's a much less emotional conversation in that case. Yeah, certainly. And like, like you were saying before, you know, as a leader, you have to take what people are saying non-personally, uh, while you're listening to them and treating them fairly. I think as a parent, uh, or as a coach who is, uh, you know, disagreeing with an official or something like that, I think there's sort of an, an equal thing that needs to be brought to the table of not taking what the leader is saying personally, 
trying to understand that the leader is trying to do the best job he or she is is able to do in that given situation. Uh, there are times where, you know, as a coach, I've experienced a quiz master being kind of flippant with the rules and, and that's frustrated me. Um, and that's unfortunate. It does happen. Uh, but by and large, just sort of, I think it's, it's useful to start the conversation with the assumption of the best motives, uh, by all involved, and then kind of work from that sort of, uh, position of grace outward. Yeah. I remember a situation once when I was, this might have been my first year as district coordinator, and I just had a scorekeeper come find me just super fired up and sit, tell me that, this coach had like or said something or had a protest and was super disrespectful of the quiz master um, and all this stuff. And my first thought, because like I know everybody, I was like, well, I wouldn't be surprised if this coach had passionate things to say, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the quiz master was incorrect. <laughs> um, and thankfully, I think both both of the people realized that they could have handled the situation better and everything was totally fine. But um, those situations happen, and you have to listen well and um, work to resolve it. And I think as a coach, it helps to remember to both be clear about what your goals are for the team that you're coaching, goals and standards, but then what's also what's most appropriate. I know one year that I coached internationals, two of the three quizzers did not know references. And so I was pretty clear with them at the beginning you don't get to jump on anything that contains a reference. So CRs, CVRs, um, quote questions. And, um, and whereas I might not have been so pointed and blatant if I was coaching a district team, but internationals, I, I knew that I, you, can't, you can't force or guilt kids into going out and memorizing all the references. <laughs> and so, um, but I was clear with them about what their expertise was and where they're going to be able to contribute to the team. They understood they didn't feel like I was demeaning them or anything. And they went out there and executed really well and were great contributors on the non-reference questions. And it was awesome. And I think, um, but I think I would have communicated it differently had it been a district team compared to an internationals team. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. All right. Well, any other parting thoughts? Not a ton. I th we got that meet coming up and we always love questions. We kind of burn through all of our questions. We've got about two or three quizzers who supply 80% of our questions. And so we'd love more people to email questions into IQ at cbqz.org. We've got this podcast that goes out um, weekly or a little bit less frequently. And I, I will tweet about the episode, both from the at inside quizzing Twitter account, but also from the at PNW Bible quizzing Twitter account. And so if you're part of our district, well, even if you're not part of our district, you can interact with those accounts as I try to keep them, um, full of information to both PNW and non-PNW people alike. But then if you are within PNW, we do have a Facebook group where information goes out. And so all of those are great places to get information and contribute to our quizzing community. All right. Sounds awesome. And if you have never seen a Bible quiz meet, but you're listening in on the podcast and you're curious and you happen to be anywhere near uh, Puyallup uh, this coming weekend, please feel free to stop by Lighthouse and, uh, you know, poke your head in and see what it's all about. And, you know, certainly Scott and I are going to be very busy uh, over the weekend. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you can catch us, uh, we'd, we'd love to be able to chat with you and love to be able to share a little bit about uh, what quizzing is. And most importantly, we'd love you for you to be able to see what quizzing is about. It seems kind of weird on, on its surface if you haven't seen it before. But once you see it, it's, it's kind of uh, 
it's not kind of, it's very much a, an, an impressive uh, thing uh, to see what these kids are able to do. All right, and with that, we will uh, close. But of course, reminding everyone, please email us your questions, thoughts, concerns, anything regarding uh, quizzing or anything we've talked about on this podcast or anything that you would like us uh, to address on the podcast. Please email us at iq at cbqz.org. Please follow us on Twitter. Uh, the Our account is at Inside Quizzing. And we'd uh, love to, uh, you know, field questions on Twitter as well. And with that, I thanks everybody for listening. And thanks, Scott. Thank you, Griffin. Happy listening, everybody.